prayer for yourself and also pray a prayer for our speaker here. Then after that, I will lead us in a time of prayer. Let us pray. Lord, December is coming and it's a good period, seasons for us to remember your birth. Uh, it is a festive season, but yet it is a good time to remember what you have done for us. Lord, I want to just pray that all of us, as we end the year, we will end the year remembering you and to share about you. And today, may you open our hearts as we begin this series, ready to receive your words also. I pray for our couple that God, you anoint him with your spirit, Father, as he shares about John the Baptist preparing the way, that our hearts also be ready to prepare the way for you. And I pray that your anointing and empowering upon him, in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Good afternoon. Ready to have some fun? Um, as Pastor Chi Ming mentioned, we are entering into this season called Advent. This is six weeks before Christmas. And it's a time for Christians everywhere to prepare their hearts to welcome the newborn baby to their lives. And as he also mentioned, this year our approach is going to be slightly different. We're going to uh, do this mini-series on secular Christian songs, or jingles as we call it. Um, and what are the spiritual applications that we may have for some of these uh, very common jingles that you might have heard. Next week, Dr. Raj will speak on Let It Snow, um, popularized in the 60s. And then uh, there, was a, there was a modern rendition by Michael Bublé. Then the following week, you may mention he will speak on... Um, Rudolph. Okay. So today we deal with a character called Frosty. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not familiar with the words of the song. All right, uh, I, I don't sing it. It's just to let you know, it's before my era, and I actually go back a long, long way. All right, uh, this song, this song, it's Frosty the Snowman, um, was written in 1950. You believe it, right? your parents' era, maybe even your grandparents' era. And it was sung by a guy called Gene Autry. I have no idea who he is. Okay? So anyway, um, Wen Wen, could you, could you play? So lis listen to this. This is how the song goes, in case you may not be familiar with it. Frosty the snowman was a jolly happy soul With a corncob pipe and a button nose And two eyes made out of coal You can Frosty sing along if you want to. Frosty the snowman is a fairy tale, they say He was made of snow, but the children know How he came to life one day There must have been some magic in That old silk hat they found 
when they placed it on his head, he began to dance around. Oh, Frosty the Snowman was alive as he could be. And the children say he could laugh and play just the same as you and me. Somebody, thump, thump, somebody, thump, thump. Look at Frosty go. Somebody, thump, thump, somebody, thump, thump. Over the hills and snow. Frosty the snowman knew the sun was hot that day So he said let's run and we'll have some fun now before I melt away Down to the village with a broomstick in his hand Running here and there all around the square saying catch me if you can He led them down the streets of town right to the traffic cop and he only paused a moment when he heard him holler, Stop! Mm, Frosty the snowman had to hurry on his way. But he waved goodbye saying, Don't you cry, I'll be back again someday. Thumpity, thump, thump, thumpity, thump, thump. Look at Frosty go. Thumpity, thump, thump, thumpity, thump, thump. Sounds funny, right? 1950. That's why. This song, that, that's, that's Frosty and the Snowman song. Okay? This song was made into a 25-minute TV show in 1969. And the plot of that movie goes something like this. One day in a school shortly before Christmas, um, a magician, a very lousy magician called Professor Hinkle, was hired to perform magic for the children, magic tricks. After the performance, the children go outside for recess and they build a snowman whom they named Frosty. And Professor Hinkle had a rabbit called Hocus Pocus and Hocus Pocus escapes from the school building while wearing Professor Hinkle's hat. The children put the hat on Frosty's head and lo and behold, to the surprise, the magic of the hat causes Frosty to come to life. Right? So he dances with the children and so on. So this delights the children, but after seeing that the hat is actually magical, Professor Hinkle wants it back. The children refuse, but he eventually does get it back. After he leaves, after Professor Hinkle leaves, Hocus Pocus manages to steal the hat, return the hat to the children, thus bringing Frosty to life once again. The children are very happy with the new friend, but the temperature is rising, and Frosty must leave for the North Pole. When they get to the train station, they find that they do not have enough money to buy tickets. So a young girl named Karen, Frosty, and Hocus Pocus sneak into the back of a train going north. They go into the refrigerator section. Pinker also sneaks on board, wanting to get his hat back. While Frosty is safe from melting in the refrigerated car of the train, Karen, young girl, is freezing. So the group decides to leave the train and Hocus Pocus gathers a group of creatures in the woodlands, in the forest around the train, to build a fire for her. And Frosty knows that it is best if Karen is brought home. And so he and Hocus Pocus decide to get the help of Santa Claus to try and transport Karen back. Don't laugh. Why you laugh? Cute, right? Hocus Pocus leaves to search for Santa, but Hinkle comes back to steal the hat. But being too fast for Hinkle, Frosty and Karen race down the hill to a small greenhouse. Frosty carries Karen inside 
where she will be warm and safe. Ivor Hinkle has followed them on foot, and he locks Frosty and Karen inside the greenhouse. Hocus Pocus brings Santa to the greenhouse, only to find Karen... Oh, wait, later. I'll show you that slide. Only to find Karen crying because Frosty has melted. He then opens the greenhouse door, and a chilly wind blows and revives Frosty. At that moment, Hinkle arrives, wanting to take his hat back. And Santa warns him that if he takes the hat, he will never get another Christmas present from him for the rest of his life. So Professor Hinkle begs for mercy and asks for another chance, and Santa tells him that if he starts acting nicer and writes a formal apology, he might reconsider and give Hinkle a new hat for Christmas. So an overjoyed Hinkle runs home to write his apologies. Meanwhile, Santa takes Karen home on his sleigh and brings Frosty back to the North Pole, keeping his promise to her that Frosty will return every year when Christmas snowfall comes around. End of story. So there we have the story of Frosty. We have a modern-day equivalent. His name is Olaf. And he's a snowman as you know in the Disney movie Frozen, who comes to life through the magic of Princess Elsa, the girl with the icy powers. And Olga, Olaf, sorry, not Olga, likes warm hugs. When, when Pastor Kofai asked me to preach on this, as uh, you heard from Pastor Chiming, he, he gave me some notes that suggested I could draw a parallel between Frosty and John the Baptist. Preparing the way. That is why the title, Frosty, Preparing the Way. Why between these two characters? Well, because John the Baptist was what we call a wild man with rough dressing. Matthew chapter 3, verse 4 tells us that John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. And Elijah... The Tishbite was similarly dressed. Second Kings 1 verse 8 tells us he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather about his waist. So, wild man, wild dressing, frosty, corn cob pipe, button for his nose, two eyes made of coal. But frosty, unlike Elijah, the Tishbite, and John the Baptist, was not wild. He was probably better described as weird. Well, we can also apply what we call a Christological interpretation to Frosty. In other words, we can say that Frosty is like Jesus Christ. Like Jesus Christ. How so? Well, a couple of um, uh, reasons, if you remember the story that we described just now from the movie. First of all, Frosty is made of snow, right? Snow that falls from the sky, or one might say, has come down from the heavens. As John 3.13 reminds us, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. Second parallel. Frosty gathers a group of young students as his followers. Another word for student is disciple. And so we are reminded that Jesus gathered a group of disciples who became his apostles, spreading the gospel message through their teaching. Right? Thirdly, there's a conflict between Hinkle and Frosty and his followers. It's like Jesus and his disciples in an epic battle with Satan and his demons for the souls of men. Fourthly, 
Karen, this girl who accompanies Frosty to the North Pole, she suffers from cold on the train. Do you remember she was in the refrigerator section with Frosty? And Frosty, in a self-sacrificing move, takes her into this greenhouse together with the rabbit hocus pocus. Frosty, quote-unquote, dies, melts away into a pool of puddle. Sorry. And in the same way, Jesus allowed his, his enemies to capture him in the Garden of Gethsemane. And his enemies ultimately killed him. So Frosty died to save Karen, just as Christ died to save us. Fifthly, Santa Claus makes an appearance in a Frosty story at this point, opening the greenhouse to the magical freezing winds of Christmas and a reminder of the mighty rushing wind of the Holy Spirit. Acts. And finally, after celebrating Frosty's return, Santa takes Karen home and he and Frosty fly off to the North Pole with Frosty sitting in the right hand of the sleigh. And in the cartoon and the song, Frosty waves goodbye saying, don't you cry, I'll be back again someday. So Frosty's departure and parting words remind us of what the Nicene Creed, right? an old statement of the Christian faith that says, for our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate he suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. So, Frosty the Snowman is really not about a snowman. It's about Christ. Okay lah. I know. I see you all laughing like that. I understand. Very far-fetched. Very far-fetched, okay? But putting that aside, the song, Frosty the Snowman, still resonates with us in some way, especially during this season, don't you think? I, I don't know about you, but the part in Frosty's story that enchants me the most is when Frosty comes to life and starts dancing around. Right? Starts dancing around with the children as soon as the old silk hat lands on Frosty's head. Why does it enchant me? It enchants me because it reminds me of Christmas. That's pretty obvious, right? We only sing this song during Christmas. Bright lights, decorations, snow-covered landscapes, festive atmosphere. It enchants me because it's magic. It's magic. And that's the beauty of the story. It's magical, it's enchanting, and it causes us to be filled with wonder. To be filled with wonder is to be filled with admiration, amazement, awe. It is to marvel at something. Two years ago, um, inspired by my cell group members, my family made a trip to Niagara Falls, part of a Northeast Canada and a US tour. And we were greatly impressed by the raw beauty and the majesty of the Niagara Falls. But for my daughter Hannah, who is not here today, the real wow came not when she saw the Niagara Falls, awesome as that might be, but toward the last part of our trip, when we were in New York at the world-famous Times Square, junction of Broadway and 7th Avenue. This is one of the busiest street intersections in the world. And there we were, looking at videos of ourselves on the giant screen that you see on the right. 
We did see ourselves on the giant screen, by the way. And it was awesome. It was awesome, really. And when we think about the Christmas story, does it not also fill us with awe and wonder? Think about the story of Christmas itself. You have angels visiting a humble young Jewish woman, announcing the birth of a special child. You have Mary wandering in her heart and the magnificence of her bearing this Messiah, this one whom the ancient prophets spoke about hundreds of years before. You have the miraculous virgin birth through the power of the Holy Spirit. You have the angels who appeared to the shepherds in the fields on Christmas. You have the Messiah King wrapped in swaddling cloths with no place to stay except in a manger with farm animals. And you have wise men who came from the east following the star of Bethlehem, bearing gifts, bowing down in wonder and amazement to the newborn king. And we wonder too at the sacrifice that God made when he sent this baby Jesus who came on Christmas to be the saviour of the world. You know, the late um, Jewish philosopher by the name of Abraham Joshua Heschel was quoted as saying, Never once in my life did I ask God for success or wisdom or power or fame. I asked for wonder. And he gave it to me. Unfortunately, many of us, especially the older ones, um, probably less of you all, but more of some of us here, have become too rational, too cynical about all sorts of things. And we have lost that sense of wonder and amazement and awe that we might have when we were younger. How then do we keep that sense of wonder? Well, sometimes God grants us special demonstrations of His mighty power. Healings, miracles, prophetic utterances, charismatic gifts, tongues, words of knowledge. Some of you have it. Some of you experience it. We can marvel as the crowds marveled on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came as tongues on fire on the apostles. And praise the Lord if we have experienced such divine interventions. But for most of us, for some of us, our lives are probably quite mundane and ordinary. So how then do we reclaim this sense of wonder and awe in our lives? Let me suggest two things. One is to walk in childlike faith. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 6. I don't have it on the slides. Just listen to this as I read to you. Matthew chapter 18, verses 1 to 6. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one, if this one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone passed around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Luke chapter 18, verses 15 to 17. Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. 
So Jesus tells us to be childlike. But to be childlike is not the same as to be childish. Childishness is immaturity. Childlikeness, on the other hand, is to be innocent, to be pure, to be expectant, to be always open to God's guidance and the wow moments and all the divine surprises. Well, it's true that Paul does admonish us in his famous chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 that we are to put away childish things. But that again and again, the New Testament reminds us of our identities in Christ, that we are the children of God. And as children, we must be childlike. John chapter 1, verses 11 to 12. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I'm not going to read through all the scriptures to you. The next one is in Romans 8, 15 to 17. Two more, Philippians 2, verses 14 to 15, and 1 John 3, 1 to 2. But they all tell us the same thing, that our identity in Christ, we sinners redeemed by grace, are children of God Most High, children of our Heavenly Father. So I repeat, to be childlike is not the same as to be childish. To be childlike is to embrace the neediness, the dependency, and the smallness of those who understand their place in the kingdom of God. I'm going to go through a quick list of seven qualities of childlike faith, right? Uh, not childishness, childlike faith that we should seek to nurture no matter what our age. First one is trusting. You know, children know how to trust without hesitation. They giggle, they laugh when they are tossed into the air, as you saw in the picture earlier, and they plunge recklessly from high places, all because they know that they will be caught in the arms of their father. Then they are transparent. Children are not good at hiding their flaws, their wrongdoing, or their emotions. Have you, came across, have you come across this acronym? WISIWIC. What you see is what you get. What you see is what you get. And there is no dull, no deception, no image management with children. They're quick to reveal what they think, what they feel, confess what they have done sometimes, and to receive what they need in terms of forgiveness and comfort. They are carefree. Children are free to live in the present with no concern for the future. They have no worries about their jobs, their bank accounts, the price of oil, Donald Trump, the next doctor's appointment, war in the Middle East, ISIS, earthquakes in Japan, politics in the office, what people think. It doesn't bother them. They can focus on and enjoy each moment because they're not entangled by the complications and distractions of this life. Fourthly, they are insistent. Everyone knows children can be very persistent. They never tire of asking questions, making requests. Like the parable of the man who came to his friend at midnight asking for a loaf of bread. Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 8. Or the parable of the persistent widow. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 to 6. They keep knocking, knocking on the door, knocking on the door, knocking on the door. They think, children will think that if they are insistent enough for long enough, they will get what they want. And very often, they are right. 
swiftly and spontaneous. Children are always game for a new adventure, too young to be prisoners of tradition and the status quo. They don't want to be put off. They don't want to put off until tomorrow what they believe they can do today. Right? Everything is now, now. I want it now. They have few of any past experiences to convince them to hold back for fear of failure, of discomfort. Sixthly, imaginative. Children see possibilities while many see problems. Their imagination has no bounds. They are not self-conscious. And seventhly, joyful. But a child's joy is not so much based on the circumstances about them as it's in the people they love being with. David, the psalmist, wrote frequently of the joy of being in the presence of the one he loved. And this is what also Pastor Jiming read to us earlier, right, from Psalm 27. Psalm 16, 11 says, In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forever. So let us learn daily to walk in childlike faith. Secondly, we learn to worship in awe. We need to rediscover the vision of God's awesome greatness and how small, how small we are. Franklin D. Roosevelt, he was the 32nd president of the USA, was reportedly, uh, had reportedly some kind of a ritual. Every now and then, along with his friend, uh, a, a guy called William Beebe, naturalist, he's a biologist, right? They would step out into the dark at night, look into the sky, night sky, and find a faint spot of light at the lower left hand of Pegasus. And one of them would recite, this is the spiral galaxy of Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of a hundred million galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our own sun. I don't know whether it's accurate. Huh? I have no idea. I'm just reading from a story. Then there will be a pause, and then Roosevelt would grin and say, now I think we feel small enough. Let's go to bed. The works of the Lord are marvelous and wonderful. Psalm 40 verse 5. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done. The, pl- the things you planned for us. Psalm 78 verse 4. We will not hide them from, our, from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and His wonderful works that He has done. Psalm 107 verse 8. Oh, that men will give thanks to the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. But not only are His works and His testimonies wonderful, the Bible also says that His very name is wonderful. His very name is wonderful. Judges 13. Angel of the Lord came to a man called Manoah from the tribe of Dan, announcing the birth of a future deliverer of Israel from the oppression of the Philistines. That deliverer was Samson. The angel of the Lord asked Manoah to prepare a burnt offering. And in verse 8, we read, Then Manoah said, Sorry, verse 17. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name, that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? Verse 18. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name? Seeing it is wonderful. 
This is from the New King James Version. In the NIV version, the word wonderful is translated as beyond understanding. Beyond understanding. And so indeed, our God is beyond understanding. For His ways are above our ways and His thoughts are above our thoughts. And in Isaiah 9.6, a portion of scripture that we frequently read during Christmas because it foretells the coming of the Messiah. The prophet says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Walking in childlike faith, worshipping in awe. G.K. Chesterton, no English writer, once said that the older one gets, the more it takes to fill the heart with wonder. And only God is big enough to do that. How true. How true. Let me conclude by reading a story from a book. book by a guy called Ravi Zacharias, who is an apologist. And he wrote this book, which I enjoy reading very much. And I found a lot of inspiration from this message, from this book. It's called Recapture the Wonder. And there's a story that he told about a couple. Named Mike and Sharon. They live in Connecticut, USA. And... Several years ago, Mike and Sharon read about a little boy in Romania who was born without arms, not even an appendage on either shoulder. And while this boy was about one year old, they, they the, the couple, Mike and Sharon, visited the orphanage where he was being cared for because his parents were unable to care for him. And their hearts went out to him. Most of the caregivers in the orphanage would have no more than minimal contact with this boy because they feared the evil eye represented by his deformity. Right? They were being cursed. So they were afraid of being cursed along with him. And the bad luck, they, would be, they believed they would, he, this boy, would bring them. Through discussion and context, this couple asked if they could adopt this little boy. The boy's mother, as well as many others, questioned the motives of anyone who would take him into their lives and spend themselves in this way, caring for one in such need of nurture and assistance. And she asked, the mother asked, are you taking him to America so that you could use him for experiments? I've heard that they do that in America. Mike and Sharon assured her that this was not their intention at all. They just wanted to give a home, give him a home and a chance at life. But why do you want a baby like mine? There's so many others out there. The mother asked. Sharon had the foresight to bring a Romanian Bible with her and opening it to Psalm 139, she gave it to the Romanian mother to read for herself. This is what the psalm says. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. As the mother read from God's word, tears started to stream down her face. Finally, she looked at Sharon and said, this is what you believe about my son, you can have him as yours. 
But Sharon and Mike brought him back home where they have loved him and raised him. He learned to use his feet to hold his spoon and feed himself. Every restaurant he and they became the topic of conversation as people marveled at the gift given to him in these parents. Fascinating skill in his feet, but most of all, at his lovable face and sweet personality. That boy's name was George. So, young George is now eight years old. Sharon decided to have a caring Christian teacher train him by playing a classical instrument. You can imagine the hard work and the practice demanded by parents and teachers in such a venture. And naturally, he had to play it with his feet because he has no hands. Ago came the first recital and they wondered whether to put him on the program with all the other students. But a music teacher said she would want him in the program as she would sit next to him as he played. And then this father, Mike, wrote to this writer, Ravi Zacharias, a letter to explain what happened on the night of the recital. And let me read it to you. This is what the father wrote. The big night came and George was nervous and telling us he wasn't so sure if he wanted to do this. To make matters worse, there was a much bigger crowd of people than normal for one of these events, many of whom had never seen George or met George before. Several students went up to the front, played the various pieces. Very soon, it was time. George's name was called, and you could hear a pin drop as the teacher walked up with him, carrying his instrument, a chair, and a large pillow that she placed on the floor to lift the neck, to lift up the neck of the cello. That's the instrument he was playing, the cello. She arranged everything as he needed and nodded for him to go ahead. There was a feeling of wonder and tension in the room, and at this point, my only thought was, please, Lord, let him just get through this. George began, and the very first note he struck was as sour as could be. He stopped playing, got red in the face, shrugged his shoulders, broke into a huge grin, looked up at the teacher. He warmly smiled back, nodded to him that he should try next time. Well, George then proceeded to play the entire song without a flaw, and it sounded marvellous. When he finished, there was a moment of quiet. Then one of the older students, who is the most advanced student in the group, simply stood in his place and began to clap. Many others in the audience stood up to their feet and the applause went on for a very, very long time. My wife turned to me and said, George has never once before tonight made it through that song without many mistakes. I want to suggest to you that that is a picture of wonder. God's grace comes upon His people and is able to transform lives and make people count where they are. This is a picture of the wonder that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have a closing song, but I want to um, ask uh, Woodman to play this YouTube clip. YouTube clip. A song which I found on the internet, which I, to me is extremely meaningful and it's something which um, seems to fit very closely, very nicely with what we've just been talking about. This. It's called The Wonder of the Cross. After that, we'll close. Remembering 
Salvation's Day, remembering Salvation's Day. Though my eyes linger on the scene, may passing time and years not steal the power with which it impacts me, the freshness of its mystery. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross.
may I see it like the first time, standing as a sinner lost, undone by mercy and left speechless, watching wide-eyed at the cost. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. Lord, we want to ask of you this afternoon that you will grant to us the same desire, the same prayer as Abraham has shown, that we do not seek fame or wealth or fortune, but we seek to be filled with wonder all the days of our lives. Grant to us, Lord, that we may be able to see you through the things of this creation. Grant to us the childlike faith, Lord, that we might be able to walk in humility and obedience to you. Thank you that we are children of God. We are privileged to be your children. And we pray that you will enable us to be childlike all the days of our lives. Thank you, Father, for loving us. And you know, as we move nearer to Christmas, fill our hearts, Lord, with this awe and this wonder at what you have done and who you are. Thank you, Father. We pray and praise all this in Jesus' name. Salvation complete, never